0: You know, that, that song is a wonderful prayer because what are we without the Holy Spirit? I can't do what I do without the Holy Spirit. I read, and I won't take long on this, but I read that Charles Spurgeon, probably the greatest pastoral preacher in the history of the church, he built, get this, in the 1800s, a 7,500-seat auditorium. They had no sound systems. Well, how do you do that? Well, here's how he did it. Um, There were two levels that he stood on. The first level was a few stairs up and that is the level from which they would lead singing. But when it came time for him to preach, he went up 15 stairs all the way to the top where he's way elevated over the people. So his voice could carry to 7,500 people. And I read this, with every step up, he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit because He's about to stand up and address seventy-five hundred people with no speaker, no sound system. So, can we say it together, "I believe in the Holy Spirit"? Amen. Now, I want to begin a series today on Abraham. I'm going to talk about Abraham's incredible journey the next few weeks. And today I want to talk to you about how Abraham kept going. How many of you have ever asked yourself, or even recently asked yourself, how am I going to keep going? Tell the truth. Come on. Well, that's a lot of you. I'm I'm hearing God on this. How Abraham kept going. Well, the way he kept going is the way that we're going to keep going. How many of you want to break the tape at the end of the finish line? And you want to hear the words, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Well, let's look at what he did. Hebrews 11. We're going to start at verse eight and let's read together. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, I like this, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now I want you to read this last part with me out loud because this is what kept him going. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We can almost say of Abraham, who for the joy that was set before him, that's what Jesus did. He endured the cross. He had his eyes peeled on heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that heaven is for real. And I pray that today, Lord, our awareness of heaven will become more real to us than maybe ever. Now, can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor it's cold and rainy out there, but it's red hot spiritually in here. All right. Amen. Now, I love the story of Abraham. He's called the father of our faith. So being the father of our faith, we need to look at his faith, study his faith. And one of the things we need to find out is how in the world did he make it to the end? How did he go all the way? How did he make it where he finished his calling, finished God's purpose for himself, and went to heaven hearing, well done? How did he do it? Well, let's begin at the beginning. At the beginning, Abram, that was his name, Abraham, or Abram before it was Abraham, was living in a city called Ur. Now, that's easy to remember because you say, where are you from? Ur... Okay? He was from Ur. Everybody say Ur. Isn't that easier than Fort Worth? Ur. Where are you from, Abraham? Ur. No, I said, where are you from? Ur. Now, he's living in a city called Ur when all of a sudden God appeared to him. We don't know how God appeared to him. I wish I knew how. But God appeared to Abram. And spoke to him and called him to come out. The Bible says he obeyed when he was called to go out. You know, God will either call you in or call you out. Generally, he calls you out so he can call you in. Now, we are told that he had no idea where he was going. Can you imagine that? God said, come out and just start walking. Try, getting, try convincing the wife to go with you based on those terms come on, honey, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. Can you imagine that? Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Well, where are we going to end up? I'm not sure. Sarah had to be a woman of faith as well. No idea. It says not knowing where he was going. He just started walking in the general direction that God showed him. And you know, folks, that's typically the way a step of faith works. When God tells you to do something, and uh, you don't know how it's going to end up. You don't know how it's going to work itself out. You know, God told us to get this building. And when he told us to get this building, it was really, really depressing looking in the natural. This was a warehouse. There were tractors in here. And the outside was awful. And all of our elders said, Pastor, we can do better than this. And I said, you know, I want you to pray. Let's look at it the way Jesus looks at us when we get saved. Because we're a mess, but he doesn't see what we are. He sees what we shall be. Amen? Thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be because the great renovator has come into my life. And he's renovated me and brought me up to this this point. So uh, when, when, when God tells us to do something, take a step of faith, make a move, do something, he says go, or he says do, or he says step. We don't know how it's going to end up. We don't have the full picture. We generally do not have all the details. We just know that God has said to do it, so we step, and that's what Abraham did. Now, when we survey Abraham's incredible journey of faith, and it was incredible, here's what I've noted. There's three cities in Abraham's life, three cities. And I want to go over these cities with you today. Here here they are. I want you to say them with me, the city behind him. Er. er. There was the city beside him, city Sodom. Sodom, and there was the city before him, city before him. Heaven. heaven. Now, the city behind him, Ur, er, represented his past. We all have an Ur er behind us. It's the, the place of our past. The city beside him was Sodom, and it represented the world. Sodom represented the world, and we have our very own Sodom now, don't we? And then there was the city before him, which was heaven. So those are the three cities in Abraham's life. Now, concerning that city that was before him, I want you to realize today that it was his, the way his eye of faith was peeled on that city, it was his keeping his focus on that city and the God of that city that brought him through all that he went through and brought him to the other side, brought him to the finish line and helped him to finish well. Listen to what Hebrews 13 verse 14 says about that city. The writer of Hebrews says, for there is no permanent city for us here on earth. Fort Worth is not permanent. Fort Worth is going to go away one day. Burleson is not permanent. It's going to go away one day. Dallas-Fort Worth is not going to be here one day. It is not a permanent eternal city. Okay? So there is no permanent city for us here on earth. We are looking, the Bible says, for the city which is to come, whose builder and maker is God. Now, this was Abraham's belief and Abraham's conviction, and this is where he planted and the stake of his faith, right there. It was what helped him to persevere through it all. It was what he was focused on. Now watch this. Even Jesus did this. It says, when he was headed to the cross, it says, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God and lives to make intercession for you and for me. Now, how did Jesus go to that bloody, torturous loathsome, difficult, painful cross. How did he do it? He did it by keeping his eyes peeled on the joy set before him. And what was the joy set before him? It was heaven. It was eternity. It was his exaltation. It was his promotion. It was what God was going to do with him and for him and through him once the cross was finished. Folks, listen. Listen you got to have a cross to get a crown. And when you're going through a cross, you don't stare at the cross. You don't fixate on the cross. You look beyond the cross to what is coming. And what is coming is the blessing of God, the promotion of God, the exaltation of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. So that was Abraham. He said, I'm going through all these things, but I'm keeping my eye on the city whose builder and maker is God. Now, I want you to know today that Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham was rich, probably the richest man on earth in his day next to the, the Pharaohs and whatnot. But he could have lived in a mansion if he would wanted to. He could have built his own city if he would wanted to, but he didn't. We see in our text that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose to live in tents, now, why in the world, if you can build a great big house, would you choose to live in a tent? You know, he didn't, he, didn't leave a, uh, he didn't leave much in his will. I, Abraham, being of sound mind and body, bequeathed to you, Isaac, a tent. But it's better than some people who say this, being of sound mind and body, I spent it all. But he left a tent. He left a tent. They were, they were, they were nomadic people living in tents. And, and why would they do that? Because this was their outward testimony that this world was not their home. That's why they live in tents. It was not their permanent dwelling place. We're just passing through. Now you may think, well, that's way back then. Uh, uh and they dealt with tents back then. But my friend, right now you are sitting in a chair in your own tent. The Bible calls your body a tent. And one day that tent's going to be folded up. The stakes are going to be pulled up. And that tent is going to be folded up. And you are going to leave the tent you're dwelling in. And you're going to go to a place called heaven. Boy, we need to talk about heaven more. We need to talk about heaven more often than just at funerals. We're going to heaven. And I want to say it again. Heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. It's not brother's grim. It's not a figment of our imagination. Abraham so believed in the world that was to come that it says, I'm going to live in a tent. He said, I'm going to live in a tent. I'm going to be nomadic. I'm not going to build a house. I'm not going to do anything that looks like I am planting my stakes permanently on this earth because I'm looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. As long as they lived in tents, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of our faith, lived in tents. As long as they lived in tents, here's what they were doing. They were testifying to the world that their home was not of this world. We're just passing through. Can I inform you today? You're just passing through. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are just passing through this world. The the three patriarchs lived in uh, nomadic lives. The Bible says, as in a foreign land. Have you you woke up lately and said, boy, this place, this world, this is not my home. Have you done that? Have you looked around and said, man, I can no longer, I can't identify with what's going on in this country, in this world. This place is not my home. Thank God there is a city whose builder and maker is God. Heaven. Heaven. Now, I want to look at these three cities in Abraham's life. And I want to apply them to you and to me in our walk with the Lord. And those of you that came forward last week when Scott, wasn't that a great week? We baptized for, um, we baptized for 35 solid minutes, nonstop. We had to tag team baptizers because the first one's back started hurting. We had to get another one in there baptized for 35 solid minutes. Now, those of you that came forward, I want you to listen to this message because one of the reasons I'm preaching this is for you because you've begun a brand new life and I want you to know how to live it. And then for the rest of us, we tend to get hung up in the things that could have hung Abraham up and I want us to get unhung up today because he was hung up for our hang ups. So we need to get unhung up. Does that make sense? I'm going as I'm thinking. All right. Now let's look at these cities. The first city, the first city was the city behind him. We all have one, the city behind him. It was Ur of the Chaldees, Ur of the Chaldeans. The city behind him. The city behind him represented Abraham's past. We all have a city behind us. We all have an Ur behind us. So Let me tell you about Ur, what Abraham had to walk out of. Because Ur was not some small little insignificant town on the other side of the tracks. Ur was a major city. It was a beautiful city. When God appeared to Abram, Abram was enjoying the creature comforts of life. Ur consisted of about 24,000 people. Now, back in that day, that was a city, 24,000 people. In Ur, they worshiped other gods. Ur did not know the real God, the God that came to Abraham and called him. Ur had no knowledge of that God. Ur worshiped the moon God. As a matter of fact, they so believed in the moon God that the moon had some ability to answer prayers and requests that they built religious temples made of rich stones where they brought their gifts and and really we could say their tithes to the moon God, because he believed he was their protector and he was their provider, the moon God. So Abraham, when he was Abram, was raised in idolatry and cultic activity. He did not have parents taking him aside and said, now, sweetie, let me tell you about the real God. No, no. He was raised with them pointing to the moon and saying, there's your God. We we pray to that moon, we believe that moon to protect us if we do what's right, if we offer to the moon our worship and our gifts. So he was raised in dark, confusing idolatry, which makes it all the more amazing that the real God went into Ur and found him and called him out. But no more amazing than the fact that God came into your Ur And called you and found you and called you out so he could call you in. And now you're out of the world and into Jesus. But it was by grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Even though they were steeped in idolatry, Ur enjoyed a a very highly advanced civilization. Ur was filled We now know because of archaeological digs and whatnot, Ur enjoyed marketplaces and schools and libraries, and it was an advanced culture. Not only that, but Abraham's neighbors had beautiful homes because many of the people in Ur were wealthy people. There were lush gardens, beautiful houses, many conveniences and creature comforts that Abram was enjoying as a boy as he grew up he he was in a place that was very very nice and then here comes Jehovah the living God appeared to him somehow I don't know how a voice a dream a vision we don't know how but he appeared to him and said I want you to come out of here I want you to leave this place because even though it was nice and comfortable and you went home and kicked back in your lazy boy and enjoyed a nice meal and you had your children and your grandchildren and everything looked good, it was steeped in darkness and satanic cultism. And so God comes and calls him out. And here's what God said to him. If you will leave this place, if you'll come out, Abram, I'm going to bless you with blessings. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But there's even something more powerful than that. Through your seed, Abram, through your seed, I'm going to give you a son. And through your seed, your lineage, your descendants is going to come the Savior of all mankind. If you just come out. You know, it's amazing. When God calls us to come out of something, it's amazing what he's got waiting if we just come out. What he's got waiting for us, if we'll just come out. We think... That Ur is worth hanging on to, but not when you see what God's got for you if you come out. If you come out, then God will bless you exceeding abundantly above. So isn't it funny how we cling to the things of Ur, but then God said, if you'll just turn loose, if you will just let go, I will bless you. I will lead you, I will guide you, I will enrich you, I will do things that you would never experience had you not followed me. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham obeyed and he walked away from Ur. Come on, honey, Sarah, let's go. We're leaving. He said to his father, Tara, come on, I want you to leave with me. Let's go. We're just going to start walking. We're going to leave this place. I know you're attached to it. And I know you want to cling to it. I know you do. Isn't it funny that Abraham was willing to let go of Ur while his nephew Lot could not let go of Sodom? So here's the principle. In order to step into what God has for your future, you need to leave the place of your past. One of my favorite verses is in Isaiah. Where God says, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Shall you not know it? I'm going I'm to bring forth a blessing. I'm going to bring rivers in the desert. I'm going to bring a roadway in the wilderness. I'm going to make a way where there is no way. I'm going to be the way maker for you. If you will, just obey me and come out. Sometimes you got to let go of your past so you can embrace your future. Now, when I say let go of your past, please understand what I don't mean. I don't mean deny your past. I don't mean be ashamed of your past. I don't mean uh, uh, develop some kind of spiritual amnesia concerning your past. What I mean is don't live in your past. Don't live in your past. Because you can live in good times in your past. You can live in the pain of your past. You can hold on. Listen, some some people never embrace what God has for them because they are convinced that their past, because of their past, they have been disqualified for a future in God. But I'm gonna tell you, the blood washes away every sin. The blood washes away every mistake. The blood washes away everything. So so when God says, I want you to come out so I can take you in, then sometimes you gotta lay that past down. Don't cling to the memories of it. Don't live in the guilt of it. Don't prefer it over God's plan. Don't say, those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. Oh, the move of God back then. Oh, it was so good back in the 70s, back in the 80s, back whenever. Or I'll never have another relationship like that one. Mm-hmm. See, when we say the past was better than today, we are saying, God, you can't beat that. But let me tell you, God can always beat that. Now, I'm going to get this CD. I need to hear that myself. God can always beat that. See, don't say, the Bible even says in Ecclesiastes why are you saying the former days are better than these? That's not wisdom that's talking out of you. Don't say the former days are better than these. Say the former days were only a warm-up. Because God's going to do a better thing. God's going to do a new thing. I'm supposed to preach that to somebody today. Some of you say, saying, well, I'm never going to, I'm never, never, never going to have a better day than before. Oh, yes, you are, because he does exceeding, abundantly, above. All that you can ask or think, but you got to come out so you can go in. So Abraham left the city behind him. Bye. Bye bye. All the memories. Bye, Er. See y'all. Where are you going? Heaven. Where are you going? Not sure where you're gonna end up. Don't know what's your ultimate goal. Heaven, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Notice no one went with him but family. Then there was a second city in Abraham's life, the city beside him Sodom. Whereas Ur represented the past, Sodom represented. Now, folks, I ask you, in our culture today, do we not live right next door to Sodom, just like Abraham did? See, here's Abraham walking along, and one day, him and Lot, they both had grown so rich that Abraham said, look, there's too much conflict between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. You choose where you want to go, nephew. And Lot looked out over the plush plains of of Sodom, He saw this beautiful countryside and he said, that's where I want to go. And he left and he went towards Sodom. It says he pitched his tent facing Sodom. What did Abraham do? He stayed in his tent and kept going the direction the Holy Spirit had indicated he should go. To To his side was Sodom. Sodom was his neighbor. It was right there. And it's interesting to me that you got two men, both that the Bible calls righteous. One is destroyed by being sidetracked into Sodom. The other keeps his faith by refusing to fellowship with Sodom. Lot lost his way, lost his walk by caving into Sodom living in Sodom, fellowshipping with Sodom. Abraham, on the other hand, he avoided it. He refused to succumb to it, and he lived separated from it. He did just exactly what the Bible commands us to do. I want you to listen to what the Bible says, and let me talk to you real bluntly about you and me as Christians living in this world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians Corinthians 6, 17 to 18, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. Now, that's the addendum to the verse. He's not saying don't have anything to do with the lost. Good grief, we reached a bunch of lost last week. He's not saying leave the world, get into a little church bubble, and don't have anything to do with the world. But he's saying don't touch the filthy things. That is, don't be polluted and tainted and stained or become involved with their lifestyle and their sin. And I will welcome you, says the Lord. And I'll be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now here's a fact of life. Every Christian is called to come out of the world, the sin of the world, the thinking of the world, the ways of the world. Now the Bible says a lot of things about our relationship with the world. Because listen, one of the great battles you will face this week and for the rest of your life is the pull of the world. Oh, it's a a force to reckon with. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life are what comprises the evil system called the world. He's not talking about God's beautiful creation. He's talking about the lifestyles of the wicked. He's talking about the ways of the ungodly. For instance, it says that If we become the friend of the world, we're the enemy of God. Wow. Now that's strong. If I'm a friend of the world, I'm an enemy of God. How could that be? Here's why. Because to be befriended by the world where they embrace you and receive you and have no issue with you, you've got to compromise your faith. And if you don't compromise your faith, you're going to be persecuted. And you won't have to tell worldly people to leave you alone. They will leave you alone if you're full of Jesus. Okay? But watch this now. James wrote this. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God because you will have to compromise your convictions to be embraced by the world and received by the world and applauded by the world. No Christian walking in the spirit of God, fully committed to Christ, is going to be applauded by the world. I hate to tell you. Isn't it amazing how so many churches, even whole denominations around us, are caving in to the culture so that they can be accepted by the world? God didn't call me to be accepted by the world. God called me to witness to the world. He didn't call me to be accepted by the world. I don't care if the world accepts me. I fully expect they will not if I stand up for Jesus. Okay? That's good. Amen. That's a few claps here in the house of God. (laughs) So so everybody say with me friendship. So even if you're you're a friend with the world, the lifestyle of the world, the ways of the world, you you become the enemy of God. Now, John adds to that. Don't love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father isn't even in him now notice we got a progression friendship to love so if i compromise my faith to be accepted by the world and be their friend my next step is i'm going to start loving it but then james chimes in again and he says hey don't get spotted by the world pure religion and undefiled before god and the father is this james wrote in 1 chapter 1 verse 27 Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. What does that mean? Well, if I go off to, um, let's say, a barbecue place today and I don't put a napkin on my lap and I eat that chopped beef full of barbecue sauce, I spill stuff all over myself and I get spotted and stained. When you hang around with and become a part of people who live in the world, you're going to get spotted and stained. Your spirit's going to get defiled. So we're not to become spotted by the world. So friendship to love. Love to spotted. And what happens when you're a friend of the world and you grow to love the world, and then when you love the world, you get spotted by the world? That's when you end up being conformed to the world. Be not conformed to this world, the Bible says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you get conformed, that means you get put into the shape of the world. You start looking like the world, talking like the world, thinking like the world. We can't tell the difference between you and the world. So I must. Never give up the sharp edge of my faith to be accepted by the world. Or I go to love it, to being spotted by it, to being conformed to it. Abraham lived right next door to Sodom, but he never became the friend of it. He never loved it, he was never spotted by it, and he never conformed to it, but Lot did. Lot pitched his tent looking at that wicked city. He didn't just pitch his tent. It, it, you know, if I was him, I, I like to think if I was going to go that way, I would have turned my tent where when I opened up the flaps in the morning, I wasn't looking straight at sin city. But when he opened up the flaps of his tent, he's looking right at Sodom and all of their wickedness and evil. And you know what happened to him eventually? He became desensitized to what he was seeing. And so one day he says to Mrs. Lot, who later became a pillar of salt because of the leadership of her husband. He said, honey, you know, I'm tired of this tent living. I'm ready to build a house. Well, where do you want to go, dear? Well, let's just move into Sodom. We won't become like them. We'll just move there. We'll just get kind of close. But we need to make money. We need to get in there where all that commerce is going on. We need to get close to where the action is. We'll just, we'll just remain separated. So they folded the tent up, put away their testimony, put away their conviction, put away their walk and moved into sin city. You know what he lost? Lot. Now remember, his uncle is God's best friend. Do you know who Abraham represents? Christ. To go to Sodom, he had to leave Christ. He had to leave Christ. So he goes to Sodom. Let me show you what he lost. He lost his fellowship with Abraham, God's friend. He would one day eventually, here's the sum total of, he lost his wife. He lost his walk with God. He lost his children. He lost his testimony. He lost his purity. He lost his home. He lost his finances. He lost his destiny. He lost everything. How did it all happen? Gradually, slowly, incrementally, friendship, loving, getting spotted, conforming. Now, let me tell you, it's real important. And I don't want to sound uppity or snooty-nosed where I'm looking down on people that don't know Jesus because I'm not. We're all about reaching people. But you need to understand today that separation doesn't mean isolation. You can be separated from the sins of the world but still reach the world. You know how I know that? Because that's what Abraham did. See, Abraham stayed right where he was supposed to be while Lot went off and fell into compromise and lost everything. But here's Abraham, he's walking and one day he hears that four kings have invaded Sodom and they have looted the city and they have kidnapped a bunch of the people and amongst them was Lot and his family. So Abraham said, no way. Now, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'll be transparent with you. If I'd been Abraham, I would have been tempted to say, you made your bed, lay in it, because you left me. You went walking off, and you took the nicest looking place and left me to the tent. So now you're reaping what you sow. That's not what Abraham did. Abraham said, let's get an army together. He got 300 of his best men together, and they went after these four kings and attacked these four kings and defeated these four kings and all their armies and brought everything back, including Lot and his family. And there in the middle of Sodom stood Abraham, God's best friend, And the king of Sodom said to him, man, I am so thankful. Here's some money for what you did. And Abraham said, I won't even take from you a shoelace because I set you free, not for a price, but because I know the one who sets free. And so you have been delivered by grace. You have been delivered by grace. And you know what, folks? God has called you and me not to be a part of it not to embrace it, not to be friends with it, but to be deliverers and rescuers in it. And when they get set free, we say, hey, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Freely you have received, freely give. I give to you because he gave to me. Amen. Friday, I went through the Presbyterian night shelter that we reach, part of where we minister. And and I asked the woman there to take me on a little tour. So she she lets me in. This is in the roughest area of Fort Worth, all you see, everywhere. Alcoholics, drug addicts, people down and out, people with nothing, people who don't fully have their mind. She took me in and started showing me around, and, 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 and here's Hundreds of people eating lunch, free. Here's hundreds of beds. Many of them were asleep at one in the afternoon. All these beds, free. I see this wonderful outreach. I'm taking them through the whole thing. Free, 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 free. And I thought, what place like this? Now, I don't want to offend anybody. But what place like this have atheists built? No, it's always Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Christ this, Christian that. As Abraham went and set this city free, free, that's what we're to do. We're to go and deliver and rescue and set free. We're not to love the world. It sins its ways. But we're to rescue and deliver it in the name of Jesus. Anybody want to go delivering with me? You want to do some rescuing with me? You want to go out there where they really are and help them? We're going to do it. We are doing it. Then there was a city before him. I'm going to close with this. The city before him. Everybody say heaven. Heaven. Let me read to you again what kept him going. How did he keep going through all of this? By an act of faith. It says... Abraham lived in the country, promised him. Lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping... Listen to this. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. There is a city right now in heaven. You know what's waiting for? The return of Christ to this earth. And one day, that new Jerusalem, the city Abraham was looking for, says these all died in faith, not having received the promise. They died in faith, not not stepping into that city yet. God having provided something better for us, they had to wait for the atonement of Christ. They had to wait for the blood to be shed. But there is a city in heaven right now. It's the new Jerusalem. It's already been built. And the day is going to come when it's going to be lowered down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband, the city of God. And you're going to have a house there. You're going to have a place there. It's been said that people can be so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. I've never found that to be true. I used to preach it, and now I retract it. Because let me tell you the fact of the matter. The more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. Because when you're heavenly-minded, you know where you're going. And if you know where you're going, you want to take people with you. If you know where you're going, you want to to take as many as you can to come see this place. C.S. Lewis wrote these words. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most good for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. And it is because Christians have begun to think so little of the next world, they become ineffective in this world. Let me make this real simple. I used to go to Six Flags when I was a kid. I loved it. Man, I was hooked on Six Flags. Had the little stamp where I could get in at any time free, and I went all the time. But there was a roller coaster that I loved. Not the one Julia took me on. There was another one for those of you that were here a few weeks ago. But I love this roller coaster. This thing was all the thrills and spills and amazing, goose bumping, scary stuff that a kid like me liked. And you know what I did? I wrote it a couple of times and then I became an evangelist for that roller coaster. <laughs> I told all of my friends, you got to come to this roller coaster. You have got to pay the price to get into Six Flags and go on this roller coaster. You will never have another thing like this roller coaster. I promise if you don't like it, when you're done, I will get, no, I didn't say that. I didn't have any money to give them back. But you got to try this. You got to try this. I brought more people to that roller coaster than maybe anybody at Six Flags. You know why? Because my heart was there. See, wherever your heart is, you want to take people to it. So Abraham, his heart was not on this earth or the things of this earth. It wasn't in Ur, his past. It wasn't in Sodom, his neighbor, the world. It was in heaven. Jesus said in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. And you know why he said that? So we would look forward. Oh, Jesus is building me a house. He hasn't given up carpentry work. He's still building and I'm Go in there. Okay. So when Abraham left, uh, Ur, Sarah, Tara, where are you going? I'm going to heaven. Come with me. We need to be telling people all the time, I'm going to heaven. Come with me. Come on. So there was the city behind him, the city beside him, the city before him. Can we stand together today? And I want to do something in closing that I really felt the Lord impressed me to do in prayer. How many of you are glad that there is a city? There is a city. Amen. Bow with me for a moment of prayer. I want to pray with you. And here's what I want to do. There are people still connected to something in the past. A pain, a disillusionment, a hurt, a letdown, or a joy. And you have a real hard time letting go of that past. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and reaching to what lies before me, I press on. I want to pray with you that God would grace you to leave the past today. You're going to walk out of ER today. You're going to walk out of Ur. You might be saved, but you haven't fully walked out. Of earth. And some of you have been pulled into something in the world, Sodom beside you. And I want to pray that whatever has gotten a hook in you or has appealed to you or distracted you or detoured you, that you will let it go today so that you can pursue what is before you. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, There is something in the past that has held me. Let me see your hand. Many of you, put it up high, put it up high. Many of you. How about Pastor Jeff, there's something beside me, present tense in this world that is pulling me and I need to defeat it. Let me see your hand. Yes, Lord. I wanna pray over those two things today in the name of the Lord. So I'm gonna ask you if you raise your hand, would you just slip out and come and stand right in front of me here? I'm to do this. The Lord told me to do this. I want you to come slip out. If you raise your hand, why do I have to come down there? Because it's a step of faith. As soon as you take a step of faith, you mean business. God's gonna do something. it's behind you or it's beside you you need, need grace to let it go in the name of Jesus will grow you in the light of It can be a person place, a thing, a memory, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yes, Lord. Look, oh, in his one this altar. I want you to know that it's not Jeff Wickwire standing in front of you. Jesus is in this altar. And we're just going to release it to him. He gives the grace that we need to walk out or to walk away from. That grace is being extended right now. I want to say with me, Lord, I give her to you. That place of my past that I've held, that has held me. And as you graced Abram, I receive your grace to walk out. Now say, Lord, I receive your grace right now. In the name of Jesus. Jesus.